said, man, I'm fully committed. So, Lord, I'm doing my devotions. I'm praying. What, what, what's in it? What's, what's our reward going to be? Because we're faithful. Like Peter, Lord, we've left all. Now what? What do we got to look forward to? And so that's the, the focus of the lesson this morning. It's in a very, very poignant question. Um, and so Peter's million-dollar question. Question for you. He says again, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Class, question for you. Was it wrong, in your notes there, was it wrong for Peter to ask this question? Let's get some discussion going. I really want to hear what you have to think about that. Was it wrong? Was he being selfish? Was he being too, like, well, you know, self-righteous, like, well, Lord, here we are. Look at us, man. We're your inner circle. And should he not have been worrying about rewards in heaven and what he's going to get? Yes, Karen. True. So, so when we read it, okay. So as you read it, that's my question to you. As you read it, how is Peter taking it? Is it a challenge to the Lord, or is it a true question, or what? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Let's <laughs> be honest, right? Yeah. Like, what's next, right? Yeah. Somebody else. Yes, Lisa? Why wouldn't you ask that question? <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, really. Like, why, why? Lord, I mean, you know what we've left. You called us. You, you came along and said, come and follow me. And you know what we've left. You know what sacrifices we, we've made. Now, Lord, I have a question for you. What, what, what's, what are we going to get? Because you just said this rich man... It's difficult for him to get, even get to heaven. So we're on the opposite end of him. He's getting, might not even get to heaven because he just rejected you. But us, we've totally laid our life out for you. We're, we're at the top of the food chain here, right? We're going to get big, big time riches. Was he thinking that? Was it wrong to even ask? Did Peter have a wrong attitude by asking that? Was he selfish, John? So don't overstep your bounds, uh, Peter. Maybe Jesus was thinking, you know, maybe don't overstep your bounds. Be careful what we ask. Yes. Good. Yes. Uh, Adrian? Reading about Peter, you know, he's got a bit of an arrogance all through the Bible. So it's probably like, what's in it for me, Lord? You know, I don't know. Kind of like that? Like, hey. Peter, you know, Peter put, his, put his mouth several times. In his yes. That's what we know about impetuous Peter, right? He, he continually got himself in trouble with his mouth. So is this one of those times? Anybody else? Anybody on this side of the room want to answer? Yes, ma'am. Back in verse 21, he tells that young man, if he sells everything, you will have treasure in heaven. So why would Peter want to know what, what's my treasure? Exactly, right? There's a, there's a commonality. There's a theme. Well, Lord, you just said he'll have treasure in heaven. He comes to sell, sell everything he has. 
Does that mean we're going to have great treasure in heaven? Lord, is that okay to ask you? Is that, is that lustful? Is that too worldly? Is that too, or is that okay? Lord, is this what we can expect? Anybody else? Yes, couple. Yes, Bob? Yes, so, so we don't see a rebuke in Jesus' response. It's not there. Somebody else had a hand up here? Yes, Dan? Didn't, in that culture, didn't they rebuke or regard people wealth as being blessed by God? Well, it could be when you had lots of land and you had, you know, the, it was a, an agrarian society, so you had land and animals. So they've left their lands, they've left their families, they've left their livelihood, and so come and follow me. You wouldn't think, though, that Jesus would leave them hanging like, okay, you're going to give up all this, and you're just going to sacrifice, and I'm not going to do anything in exchange for that? I'm just going to let you suffer here on earth? Yeah, uh, yes, sir. Brother Solomon? Yep. Patrick? Okay, a concern about his earthly possessions even. It's another thought as well. Yes, one more. Yes, Agi? I don't, I don't think it was wrong for Peter to ask the question because Jesus was the teacher. Um, yes. He was a student trying to learn what it is for us um, and if he didn't ask, we know. Yeah. Very good. So if we didn't ask, you don't know. Okay, good, good discussion. I mean, think about this. Let, let me try to give you some, some insights here to get you to think about. I don't think any of us can be dogmatic, definitive, but, but let's think through it a little bit together. Thank you for your good answers. You know, in our first lesson, we talked about Peter, when Jesus called Peter, and Peter, J Jesus said, hey, cast out into the deep, Peter, and cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch fish. He said, Lord, we've been toiling all night. Really? Am I supposed to do that? You really want me to do that? Cast your net on the other side. But nonetheless, I'll do it. And he did it. Remember the story? And then he came back and he got on his knees and he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm an unclean man. He was a broken man. He realized, wow, this, this Jesus, he's real. He's the power of God. And I need to submit to his authority and leadership. And he said, Peter, come follow me. It was at that moment Peter realized he's worthy to follow and I will leave all. And the Bible says, and he left. I think it's Luke chapter 5. You go back and look at that. That was our first lesson. Luke chapter 5, it says, he forsook all and followed him. He made that commitment right there and then. This, this man is out of my league, Jesus is. And I need to be part of this ministry because it's a supernatural ministry. So Jesus knew that. He knew that Peter had that attitude right from the beginning, that he was willing to leave all. And then James and John and Andrew, Peter's brother, he left all, and they, they came and they followed him. And so they knew, Jesus knew that they had forsaken all, unlike this rich young ruler who would not part with any of his possessions to follow Christ. So Peter did, and they all did. So they're naturally wanting, again, to know what what their reward would be if, if this guy is so bad, are we then so good, possibly, Lord? Is that the possibility? In your notes there, did Jesus condemn or rebuke Peter for asking the question? That came up here today, and the answer is, no, he did not. Look at verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, verily, this is truly. Now, Jesus is being emphatic. 
Truly I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He goes right into telling them some of the blessing that they're going to have. There's no rebuke there. There's no attitude. There's no... Now, Peter, why would you ask that question? Because we know that Peter was rebuked other times. We covered that in class too, remember? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. Remember when Jesus said, you'll never go to the cross. You'll never die. Well, Jesus didn't mince word with Peter in another place. He openly rebuked him. But here when Peter asks the question, we don't read that rebuke. We don't see that rebuke. It, there's no attitude. It seems like that Jesus is trying to do that because he says, truly, I want you to know this, men. Very truly, verily, I say this unto you. He, so I don't think that there was a sharp response like there was when he did need to rebuke Peter in times past. And so it seems that Jesus just wanted his disciples to know what was in store for those who would leave all to follow him on earth. This was a good time that Jesus allowed Peter to come up with this question in order to be able to address this issue because it was on their minds. And he didn't want them to be confused. Number C. What was the all that the disciples had forsaken to follow Christ and have treasure in heaven? That's what Peter talks about, right? What is the all there? Lord, we have left all. We have forsaken all. Well, in your notes, let me give you a couple. You can think about them, and I'm sure we, we know the common ones, what they are. Uh, here's what they would have forsaken, class, and you might be able to add some others. But number one is they forsook their family. Matthew 10, 34 to 39 talks about that, and we don't have time to look back there. But James and John, it says, left their father and his business to run the, the fishing ministry. They just up and left. It says they left his father too. Peter had a wife. And not that he left or divorced her, but there was a lot of times that he was spending out of the home on trips going down to Jerusalem, though Jesus' ministry was mostly around Galilee, so he could be home at night. But a lot of time he was spent down and in other places away from his family. Um, in fact, in Paul's writings, some were called to remain unmarried. If you're going to follow Christ, Paul says it's better for you to be like I am, unmarried. Because those who are married are committed to ministering first to their family, but those who are single can give their heart completely and unabashedly to me. And so there, there is some of that. And so um, a new believer may experience an unbelieving spouse. When someone gets saved, that believer is saved. Now the unbelieving spouse says, you know what? I don't like your new lifestyle as a Christian. You've changed. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about that, where they could leave the marriage because of the person getting saved and they're forsaken by their spouse who doesn't want any part of their salvation and their new way of life in Christ. And so that is part of the forsaking that can happen when someone is so committed to Christ. The other partner can say, I, I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And that was almost what happened in that, um, that movie that we watched with, um, was that last year, with the Case for Christ? Um, where his wife got saved and he's saying, I don't want any part of that. And, and that can happen um, often in this life. And so family might be estranged from us. Uh, the careers and their jobs, they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their livelihood. That's what they were good at class, that's all that they knew. They left their source of income. 
Matthew was a tax collector. We know tax collectors back then made lots of money. After they exacted from the people all the taxes, they asked for extra. Rome got their portion, but the tax collector got to pocket the rest, and they became wealthy. So Matthew's given up lots of wealth to go and follow Christ, no doubt about that. And so they left their careers and jobs. Uh, they left their friends. They left their homes. What was comfortable and convenient to them. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not place to lie his head. When their disciples were out and about, where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to be? Sometimes just under the stars. They didn't have the comforts of their homes anymore. They left their possessions. In fact, class, how about this one? They left their reputations. They left their reputations. In Mark chapter 3, the Bible talks about when Jesus started his earthly ministry, his friends and his family came to him when, remember, they were ready to break down the roof to get that man into the, into the building. And there was people waiting outside, and they said, hey, we've come to get Jesus and take him back with us. It was his own family and his friends. Do you know why? Because they thought that he had lost his mind. And they said, we need, to, we need to take him back. When you look at John chapter 7 and verse 5, it says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so Jesus was, 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 had his own family questioned his sanity and questioned his, his, uh, his deity as the Son of God. And they weren't willing to necessarily stay by until Jesus got further into his ministry and did more and more and saw the throngs and saw his miracles and said, wow, he really is the Son of God. But early on, that was a challenge for his family to, to accept that. And so their reputations were on the line as well. So if we're going to follow this madman, if we're going to follow this person that no one's accepting right now because they're afraid that maybe if we follow him, the Jews are going to attack us and cast us out of the synagogue and we're not going to have a place in Judaism anymore in our religion, that's a, big, that's a big price to pay. I don't know that I want to do that. And so they had their reputations on the line. And that ties right in with their religious beliefs about the law of Moses and Jewish society. Everything revolved around their religion in the synagogue. They were taught the ceremonial laws and the civil laws of Moses. And so now Jesus is coming to fulfill the law. He is the super example of the law. And now he's telling them to live by grace, not under the law. Wait a minute. That's not what I learned growing up. My family might not accept that. And people, all of my Jewish friends and the town's people, they're not, they're not going to accept that. And so now they're their reputations are on the line by following this leader. So Peter's asking the question, Lord, what are we, we going to get? Because we've left all, and you're seeing all the things that, that they left. They left their safety. They're easy, much easier to be attacked. They left their well-being. They would make many enemies, class. They would have long days serving people, healing the sick feeding lots of people, being thronged by sick and decrepit folks all day long, and they have to put up with people's problems and pain, and, oh, Lord, and their own well-being could be affected as well. I mean, just lots of things you see here where Peter's thinking, Lord, we left all we really did. What's left? And so their well-being, and then finally, their lives. All but John died as a martyr, and even John was put to death, but they boiled him in oil, but he lived. And so, and Judas took his own life. And so, class, it was a reasonable question to ask. It was a reasonable question for Peter to ask, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him for it. So here's another question. Is wanting future rewards an ungodly or biblical, which one, motivator for wanting to go to heaven? 
What do you think? Yes, sir. Steve? No, because if it was, Jesus wouldn't spend so much time telling us about it. Okay. Yeah, just, just don't worry about it. Why, why even bother talking about it, right? Okay, that's one, one response. Somebody else had a hand up back here. Was there two hands? <laughs> Linda, did you want to, you know, did, did you want to contradict your husband? Is that what it was? <laughs> okay, talk to him later in private. <laughs> we'll have a counseling session after, I'm sure about that. <laughs> Anybody else? Other ideas? John, were you thinking of something, something there? Okay. <laughs> yes, Lisa. I think the motivator is one of the motivators for me. It's not the only one, but it you know, it helps. I mean you wanna know why why are you following this person? You know, what is he offering you? You know, of course you should do it out of love for him for what he's done for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's nice to know there's other things too. It's a real question class. I mean, this, this gets down to where the rubber meets the road, kind of, doesn't it? It's like, what is our motivation for wanting to be a true Christian? Is it because I'm going to get heaven and eternal life? Sign me up, Lord. Yeah, I want the blessing of that. And is that an okay motivation? Should that be our only motivation? Is it one of a few? I mean, how strong do we go? Yes, Russ? Yeah. Amen to that. It's, I don't know of too many other motivators that are as key as not wanting to die forever. Yeah. That's a very, very poignant thought, isn't it? Burning forever in hell. That is a huge motivator. It sure sticks in my mind. That's the negative side. I don't want to go there, but if I get to go there, why not have a wonderful place? Where it says there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's a good motivator too, isn't it? Like, wow, I get heaven and I don't get hell. Whoa, sign me up with both hands, right? I mean, clearly that all of us in thinking about our salvation would probably think about that in some way, wouldn't we? Yes, Dave? So maybe Jesus is testing their faith to see are they really committed to me regardless if they get a reward or not in heaven. Is that really what it's about? You know, I, I want them to see whether I come back now or next week or next month or next year. I want them to, you know, I want them to truly be founded in me. So, so a poignant question Peter is asking, Lord, what's in it for us? Was that more important to Peter than just loving Jesus, do you think? Good question, right? It's a good question to ponder. Uh, yes, Agi. Uh-huh. I don't think that he was looking for anything. I think it was really just out of 
what it is that Jesus has said before, as we have to say, okay, let's clarify. But in terms of Peter serving Jesus, I think it's because of what it is that he saw. So how is that Jesus? What he saw in Jesus and who Jesus was, what his power was, what he could do, and what he did in his own life. And so this was just a curious thing. John, do you have your hand up? No? Just contemplating back there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, class, let's think about this, really, because this is very important for us as Christians. Without salvation, we don't have heaven. We have hell. Is that true? Without Jesus, <laughs> we don't get to go to heaven. We get to go to hell. So by far the most important motivator ever for us as believers should be our relationship with Jesus Christ, what He has done for us. Right. <laughs> How He loved us and gave His life for us. That's awesome. That's the most important thing. So we love Him because He first loved us. And so out of that loving relationship for the Lord, we're motivated out of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but out of a love for Christ, the Bible says, I think I put it there in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constrains us, it compels us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So it really comes down to, first and foremost, Jesus and that relationship that we have with Him. We say, Lord, thank You for my salvation. May I never get over my salvation. A benefit of You saving me is that I get to be with You in heaven, in bliss, for the rest of my life. And that I don't have to go to hell and suffer for the rest of my life. But you're the one that made that possible. So first and foremost, class, all motivation, the most important motivation in your notes there, our first motivation should be relational. It should be a relational one. That is because Jesus' love and sacrifice for us, it motivates us to be with him for all eternity, that we will thank him and praise him for sparing us giving us a chance, showing us His grace, His love, His forgiveness, His mercy, His kindness, all those things. That's number one. And so as you think about that here in 2019, isn't that a good thing to think about? Lord, as I begin 2019, I want my relationship with You to be more passionate, to be more fervent, to be more real than ever. And in driving my relationship of love for You, it's going to cause me to sin less or to hate sin more. And to appreciate that, man, I'm not going there, and I appreciate my salvation. And Lord, what I have to look forward to is bliss for all eternity. Thank you for that. That sure does motivate me to live for you because of my relationship for you. I want to please you with my life. And I want to do those things that honor you. And guess what? As a fringe benefit, Lord, you said that when I do that, I'll get added blessing in heaven. And that's sort of what Peter's asking. I've already committed, Lord. I'm, I'm all in. I'm following you. What's, what's the rewards, though, going to happen? Is, is there something on top of that even? So it wasn't wrong, I don't believe. It wasn't sinful for him to ask that. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He's just saying, okay, this is great. We're, we're contrasting what's going to happen to the rich young ruler. He's going there. But, Lord, for us who've for, forsaken all, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about here? And Jesus then gives his answer Again, look at it, verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, truly, I say unto you, that you which follow me 
In the re regeneration, by the way, that's going to be in the millennial kingdom. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sister, or fathers, or uh, mothers, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Boy, there's a lot there that he said. And so our first motivation in responding to this should be out of love for Christ. Second, there's a good motivation class. It's reasonable that fear of death and eternal punishment in hell is a reasonable motivator. It talks about that in Luke. I put those references for you. Luke 12, Mark 9, Hebrews 10. We're to fear the consequences. Listen to this carefully. We're to fear the consequences of God's judgment, which results in going to hell if we reject his free offer of salvation. There's consequences for that. Jesus talks about hellfire and where the worm dies not and where the fire is not quenched. He talks about hell is everlasting punishment in Matthew 25. Hell will be filled, the Bible says, with all the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall find their place in the lake of fire. It's a place of outer darkness, separation from God, weeping and gnashing of teeth so that no one in their right mind would want to go there. And it's a mockery as we hear, well, all my friends, we're going to party in hell. They don't get it. Boy, they're way off. And, and they, we need to understand the gravity of what that suffering will be. And so that's great motivation for us to say, yeah, boy, I, I know what Jesus said about how I don't want to go there. Nowhere near there. But Lord, thank you for loving me and paying the penalty so that I don't have to go there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's a, that's a resounding praise to God. Number three, wanting future rewards of being in the eternal presence of Christ with beauty and blessing beyond description is also a good motivator. Jesus in the New Testament writers class spoke of heaven in many wonderful ways. I believe it was to help the mind of man understand what awaits the faithful child of God and to prompt him to want to faithfully live for Christ so that we could go there and have everlasting fellowship with him in eternal bliss. And so I've listed for you 12 different passages of Scripture. If we had time this morning, I would have each of you read one of these passages for us. We just don't have the time to do that. But look, basically, I've summarized them for you. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, and it was already said, Don, I think you said it, over in verse 21, it says, And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have, what did you say, Don? Treasure. Class, there's treasure in heaven. That's a wonderful thing. That's what we have to, to think about. Matthew 16, just back a few pages, in verse 27, Jesus will reward every man according to his works, the Bible says. He talks about rewards. Luke 12, Jesus will give rewards to the faithful servants on earth according to what they have done. Luke chapter 14, don't look for rewards on earth for serving Christ. Just be faithful servant of Jesus. He, the Bible says, will recompense or pay back those that are faithful servants of his in heaven. That's coming. 
Romans 2, God will render to every man according to his deeds. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no man can comprehend the blessings of heaven. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It's going to be a wonderful time. We can't even fathom what the blessings of heaven and the reward of heaven is going to be like. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. I talk about this in here often. Paul came back after being caught up to the third heaven and he couldn't even utter words to describe what heaven's going to be like. Amazing, amazing. And so we can't miss it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Many of man's works will pass the judgment of fire in heaven, and what remains, the gold, silver, precious stones, will be rewarded for. He's going to give us rewards. We get crowns in heaven. We read about that in numerous places in scriptures, the five crowns that we're going to receive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So there's that judgment seat. That's going to happen, by the way, class, during the tribulation period. We're going to be up in heaven. And, and as we have the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're fellowshipping with the Lord, there's also going to be this wonderful time of Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ, meeting out rewards, burning up the worthless things that we've done and getting rewards for our faithfulness to the Lord down here on earth. And the Bible says that we can have confidence, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, we can have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming because we've been faithful to serve the Lord with our hearts. Yes, ma'am. I'm a little confused about whether Okay, so good question. Very briefly, rapture happens, Christians taken to heaven, the church is up there in glory. That's a seven-year period of tribulation down here on earth. God spares us of that. We're up in heaven. Two major things happen up there during that seven-year tribulation. It is the judgment seat of Christ, I just mentioned, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. At that point, seven years are over. We're coming back with Jesus Christ. His saints come with Him. He comes and down to the battle of Armageddon. He he destroys them with the spirit of his mouth. They're destroyed. There is the sheep and goat judgment on earth here. The, the goats, the evil, are cast into hell. And the sheep come into, into the eternal kingdom along with us. And now we start the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ after his second coming. And then we have that thousand years. Satan is loosed after a thousand years. Then you have the great white throne judgment where all the people of all the world, all sinners, are going to be judged for their evil deeds against the Lord. And they're determining their level of punishment in hell. That's the great white throne judgment talked about in Revelation chapter 20. And then after that, you have the eternal state where it's peace and bliss, where Jesus rules as King of kings and Lord of lords in the new Jerusalem, which is going to be beauty beyond our wildest imagination. That's the quick eschatology end time thing. So, hey, <laughs> sorry, that went really fast. I know. That, but did you catch the gist? Is that exciting stuff or what? Amen. That's exciting stuff. 2019, guys, let's make it a great year. He could come back this year, amen? He could come back. That could happen. What did I leave off on? What number? Colossians chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, the Lord will give a reward of an inheritance in heaven for being a faithful servant of Christ here on earth. That's coming. Revelation eleven eighteen. at the second coming of Christ, he will reward the faithful saints going into the millennium and punish the wicked. At the rapture class, in your notes... Christ rewards the church-age saints in heaven, and at the second coming, he will punish and render judgment to the wicked. That's that sheep and goat judgment when Christ comes back. All those who survived the tribulation and didn't receive Christ but have the mark, they will, on his left hand, the wheat and the tares, 
the tares will go to hell. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus will return to set up his kingdom and he will reward every person based on what he or she has done for God. That will follow through then to the eternal state, sort of to answer your question there, Elisa. So class, our eternal rewards, let's get this. I think I mentioned this a little bit ago. Pastor Wendell might have mentioned it as well. Let's not forget this. For our little dot on the radar screen of our life, our 70 years, our 80 years, our 90 years of what we do with the Lord here on earth will determine forever what our reward is in eternity. That should be a motivator that we make our life count now. In January 2019, don't squander opportunities to witness. Don't just become sort of... Uh, uh, captivated by the world and its pleasures and its glorious inventions and so on. Stay in the Word. Stay in fellowship with God. Stay in church. Be walking with Christ. Forsake our sin and keep on serving Christ in the local church and being faithful and diligent because that is storing up rewards for you in heaven. And I say that as a motivator to you. That's not wrong. That's a good thing to do. And you're showing your love for Jesus Christ, right? By being that motivated servant that does that. So, finally, Jesus gives an answer to Peter's question. And we read it already. I read it to you, so I won't read it again right now. But here's the answer. In the millennial kingdom, in the regeneration talked about there in Revelation, or in uh, verse 29, um, <clears throat> that's talking about the millennial kingdom. Now, the twelve apostles, Jesus says first, will have special place of honor as rulers over the twelve tribes of Israel. Without going into too much detail, Jesus will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords over his kingdom. He'll give Israel a special place of blessing in his, in his eternal kingdom. Anybody who talks to you about replacement theology, reject it. Where the church becomes Israel, that's rejection. The church and Israel are two separate entities and God is going to deal with them differently in the end times. Israel's always going to have a place. David's going to have a place. These 12 apostles are going to have a place ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel, special ministry to Israel in the eternal kingdom in, in, in the millennium. And so the curse will be greatly limited in the millennium in anticipation of totally being abolished in the eternal state because Satan is no more are no more available to come and corrupt the earth. And we will live forever in no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying. So there's a special place Jesus is telling his disciples, yes, Peter, I got a place for you, and you and the other disciples are going to rule and reign up there and have a special place over my children Israel. Let it be, those who renounce their possessions and become poor for Jesus' sake will receive 100 times more. The Bible says there in verse 29, it's hundredfold. In this present life, the Bible says, as you read this verse in Mark and Luke, it says in this present world, in this present life, at this time. In other words, we receive a new spiritual family on earth when we get saved. We, I have all of you as my family. You have all of us as your family. We have sisters and brothers in Christ that the world doesn't have. There's fellowship, there's unity. We have spiritual fathers and mothers that we look up to spiritually. We will be rewarded with peace and hope and joy on earth. And we can be free from the evil activity that has happened here and not suffer the consequences of living a rebellious and sinful lifestyle because we followed Christ completely. 
down here on earth. We can have a victorious life. Is your life, class, filled with joy? Is it filled with that hope? Is it filled with the peace of God? Yes, we all have problems. Please don't understand. It's always bliss all the time. But yet there is a hope. There's a strength. There's a power in us that says, you know what? We're just passing through this way. This is, this, these problems don't have to define me. They don't have to crush me under. I can live through these trials because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know there's a coming reward in heaven. So Lord, give me the strength and the grace to walk through this life right now with victory, hope, joy, peace, blessing, your power, and so on. And so that's what he says. We have the blessing of his word to help us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in, in us through rough times and good times to give us guidance and to live in wisdom and power. I can't tell you when I counsel people all the time that I come home to Anne and I say, I'm so thankful for God sparing us of so many things. So many things. And it's God, a relationship with Jesus Christ that has spared us from getting into all sorts of tawdry, ungodly practices in life that have drowned people in relationships and addictions and debauched lifestyles. When we get saved, God pulls us out of that and we can live in a totally different life. That's part of the victory God gives us here because we know Jesus. He cleans up our act so we don't have to be living in abject sin and dominated by the devil. That's the some of the blessings of God that we get, the reward of God that we can get right here on earth because we're following Christ. We're blessed a hundredfold. And if you just stop and count your blessings, you will see it. You will see it. And if that's not enough, look what he says at the very end of 29, and you shall inherit everlasting life. You're going to have eternal life. So now, class, we have the taste of what Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. We have that taste. Why? Because Peter asked a bold question. Jesus, what are we going to get? And because of that, Jesus gave an answer, and it's for us today, 2,000 years later. Look, I have a great plan in heaven for you, but you will get a hundredfold blessing if you follow me and you're faithful to me down here on earth, even right now. You can have the peace and the blessing of God in your life. Not that it's perfect, we're still going to sin, but we confess our sin and we walk and we renew our mind and we walk in righteousness and holiness and faith and truth and God gives us a peace, He gives us a joy, He gives us a confidence to live in Him so that we don't have to be of the world. We're just passing through here, class. Let's not forget that here at the beginning of 2019. This is not our home. We're just sojourners. Don't plant your stakes too deep in this earth. We're just passing through. And so we look towards the eternal to come to give us great power and blessing. So Jim Elliott said, you know this, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Awesome, awesome statement. We gain back, class, all that we have given up to faithfully follow Christ in this life and also in the life to come. Eternal blessing forever with God. What's the challenge? Are you motivated to live for Christ in this life? I trust that you are. You're here this morning. Thanks for being out. It should be about our love for Him, but it can also include the added blessing of knowing we're not going to hell and that we also will receive eternal rewards. That's icing on the cake. Let that prompt you to greater passion and service for Jesus Christ. You will never 
regret it. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful truth from a simple question that Peter asked. Lord, what's in it for us? Thank you that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Thank you for each one in this class. I pray that you would help us all to live victoriously this day, this week, this month, this year in 2019 for the glory of God. And might we sense your power, your blessing, your hope, your help upon us. Even as we go through the difficult times of life, Lord, we can cast our care upon you because you care for us. Might that be the case for each one of us this year. Thank you for your grace and your salvation. May we never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, amen, guys. Have a great week. Thanks. I'd let, I'd let Keith know you approved the two packages. Yes. Now, how about that? <laughs> Me asking for the packages. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Praise God. Amen, amen. Praise the Holy Spirit said, time to reload. <laughs> <laughs>